Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, we are talking intercomponent communication, as well as uh, manageable and extensible objects. Should be pretty cool. We're looking forward to it. So let's say hi to our panelists, then we'll meet our guests and get on to our content. Joining us today, we have Alyssa. Alyssa, how's it going? Hey, glad to be here. And we have Austin. I'm trying to do this alphabetical thing. So A-L-A-U. I think I'm all right right now. Austin, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? When you said interconnected, I was thinking like intergalactic or something. Yeah, we just needed to drop the beat and have a little, yeah, that'd be, that'd be, yeah, I don't know, little Beastie Boys. All right, um, breaking the uh, uh, alphabetical order. We're going with Mike. Mike, how's it going? I'm last. Not not talking to you yet. All right, so, I'm last. So that's Mike. <laughs> Bonnie, how's it going, Bonnie? It's great. I'm super excited about our guest today. For once, I don't know him. Well, I didn't know him. I just met him like 10 minutes ago, but he's so cool. We're going to have fun. It's going to be a great yeah. show. Should be good. Just a little backstory real quick on the alphabetical order. I had to go Bonnie last because, you know, Bonnie likes to reveal our guests before I can announce her name. So, which always works. I can't but help I it. I just get so excited. Right, right. But I didn't actually reveal the guest this time. I just said he was cool. Right. So there's still the mystery there. I'm getting better. Awesome. Let's meet our guest, Bjorn. How's it going, Bjorn? Hello. I'm happy to be here. Um, Bjorn, I'm from the Netherlands, 29 years old, and uh, really, really enjoying working with Angular the last couple of years. Uh, so happy to be on the show for the first time. Awesome. 29. That's like a grandpa in JavaScript land. Yeah, you say so, right? <laughs> I don't want to hear that. <laughs> That, no, it's 29. Bro. That was a while ago. This is why we moved to TypeScript instead of sticking with JavaScript all the time. So that you 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 feel a little uh, more under control. control. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. All right, so we've got kind of two topics today, right? Um, we're going to dive into intercomponent communication first. Um, so you want to get started there? Uh, sure thing. Let's go. Uh, let me sweep and. Is that all visible? Should be. I told you he was cool. <laughs> well, intercomponent communication, or um, as you might um, might use it on a daily basis, is how components communicate between each other using the usual suspects, uh, suspects uh, like the input, the output, and services. Um, and what I really want to talk on here is smart versus dumb components, or how I like to call them, smart versus simple components, but they're all basically the same. You have Brocky components is, that... Brocky is the dumb component one. Sorry, repeat that? I said Brocky is the dumb component one of the group. <laughs> and Austin is the mean one of the group, just so you know. <laughs> so I just, didn't know you had a component style going here. Uh. <laughs> we have a limited component staff. I, I, for one, enjoy the smart and simple or... Uh, Decision presentation, avoiding the dumb comment. I like yeah, that's. I, I feel dumb has a, a, nice a, a bad connotation to it as well. Yeah, it's not. I'll, it's I'll not stupid. In that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I use usually call them smart versus simple, or you could go logic versus pure if you're into that type of thing. Um, but yeah, basically, the um, intercomponent communication is important when you have smart com uh, components that basically take care. Of your um, take care of what what the logic of your application is trying to do, and your presentation or simple components basically represent your data or uh, have some interaction with your user that you can easily, if you do it well, 
reuse throughout your application without too much of a hassle. What's um, a, what would be an example of like a smart or a dumb component? Uh, a smart component would be um, basically where you retrieve your data or handle off the uh, the user events for to send them off to a server or to uh, to persist some data or to add new things. Uh, basically, uh, the component that composes all of your simple components in that sense. So basically, if you're if you're, we're going to stick with a to-do example in the next topic. So I'm going to use them already. Uh, the actual component that does to-dos uh, or basically shows the to-dos is considered a simple one, just a list, and has maybe a button that you would interact with. And the smart component would actually listen to these events and handle them for you, or and retrieve the data as as you go, of course. So would uh, a smart component be something that has like state management with it as oh, well? Oh yes, yeah. I could not resist, guys. Yeah, you know yeah, me? yeah, yeah. You would, um, I would definitely opt for state management in the smart component if we can. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and you know, dry component is something that I hear a lot. What's the difference between a dry component and a dumb component? Well, you would say that a dry component, as don't repeat yourself, would be a dumb component. If it's composed or, or assembled well, then you can reuse it without having to rewrite much code or without duplicating yourself, basically. So you can just put a, stick it in a module and use it where you need. So you Rocky, would say that they are very comparable. Rocky, you're probably a dry component then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got nothing there, but uh, I, I, I will add my. My bad little. jokes just keep up today. I'm feeling a little sassy. <laughs> I can tell. Uh, the way I up. tend to think about the whole thing uh, about the different uh, two different styles of components or types of components is like an orchestra versus a musician. Uh, so the um, yeah, <laughs> I get a finger away from Austin. Uh, is that the musician essentially is the presentation slash dumb component in that, hey, I just I play what I'm told and respond to what the conductor is telling me. And the conductor is the smart component that knows how or what music to play and uh, where essentially where to go get the data. Lovely analogy. I like it. Thank you. I had to redeem um, myself after Austin insulted me. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. If he throws too much sass, then uh, just hit back him, right? Anyway, uh, continuing. So in the regular, in the day-to-day -day basis, most people will be using uh, the input and output. Uh, so is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. Most cases, this will be perfect for your regular needs. Um, input and output are, are excellent. Um, but there are cases or situations where you might not really want to go with uh, specifically output since this has its limitations, so we'll get to that. Um, but I don't want to overshadow that or, or like overstate that input and output are terrible choice. No, they're excellent choices. And if you can use them and they work for your situation, just do it. It's the best. Uh, but we're going to explore a couple of alternatives to just using an output. Uh, I also put services in the first slide. But services may not be great for simple components. Uh, there are situations, of course, where you could argue that a service that is very tightly integrated with your simple or presentation component, and as a module, you can reuse them. That's fine. Uh, I would honestly say that's a very good solution if you could do that. But if you have very surface uh, application-specific services that you need to reuse in your simple component, you might be facing a challenge in the long run, especially in considering the dry part. Then it, the reusability just goes down if your service is very application or logic-specific. Uh, so it's something to keep in mind when you're designing your components or splitting them up into separate pieces of logic. Uh, so 
using services and simple components might tightly couple your simple component to your applications, which is something you should maybe try to avoid if that doesn't work out for you. But the main issue with output, uh, the main issue with output that might want to drive you to look into alternatives is that it's this little thing here. Uh, is that well readable for everybody? Didn't get to test that, so hope it's fine. Yeah, I think it's good to me. A little small, but I mean, if you have a way uh, to enlarge it, yeah. But if not, I think it's fine. Could probably do. Oh, no, doesn't respond to that, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, I'll just talk over quickly what we see then. Uh, we have a little, uh, well, app child. So that's insinuating a child component that has a thing output. And basically, um, uh, you have to uh, handle your events that, that are outputted by the simple component. So you have this little handle function everywhere over your uh, your presentation or your smarter components. And, and as I said, most of the cases, this is fine. You need to handle these things off. But what we, what we kind of like, sometimes, especially working with Angular that relies heavily on RxJS, is that you might want to get a stream of these uh, outputs. And unfortunately, and I'm kind of wishful thinking, uh, hoping that they will make that a feature in the future. But as of now, it's just not a, not possible to just bind your output to an, um, to an observable. Or is there? There's an alternative way right now without putting uh, a subject there... directly in your own component. Go, sorry, sorry yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but go isn't, ahead. Isn't uh, aren't outputs uh, just like a primitive observable? Outputs are uh, event emitters by default. You could go for a subject if you want, and I th uh, the the event emitters yeah, in uh, Angular are subjects technically. Yeah, under the hood, isn't an event emitter a subject? Yeah, it is. Yeah, basically, but the one thing you have you've missed there, Austin, is that he's talking about the consuming of the events, not the actual events themselves. Exactly. the The outputs that you use in the simple component that you output are event emitters that are subjects. But let's just call them event emitters right now. Uh, on the parent component or the smarter component that is consuming that, you can't directly, without cheating, basically uh, get that same event emitter inside and use that as an observable. So you'll have to find a way around it. Does that satisfy your uh, your question there? I just get a, I'm getting a big kick out of you. Don't listen to him because I, I like it. You're like, yeah, you can't do that yet. And you go, or can you? Yeah. <laughs> you're just, oh I know. Tell us, tell us the alternative way. Right? I have two alternative ways. Let's play a game. Answer there every are... I have with a question. Yeah. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot to mention hey, hey. often that we have these two topics that we're trying to get through. So we're trying to kind of get through this first one, you know, fairly <laughs> Quickly to get to the next one. So, if you want to give me a hard time on the TypeScript part, I'm fine with that. So, <laughs> we're, we're going to let my candle Austin muting, and then you can you can just blow through the rest. <laughs> Austin, he's got a lot to cover. <laughs> All right, so alternative way. So I'll I'll uh, I'll speed it up then. I mean, I can speak really fast if I want. So, uh, the alternative way is that you add one of the event emitters that you would usually have on your outputs on your uh, simple components. You put one on your parent component, and uh, you make it public, as else your strict compiler will yell at you and dislike you. Uh, but one of the things you can do in your HTML, where you bind the, where you firstly put the small uh, uh, the simple component and usually bind it, uh, you can just do an emit there. And all of a sudden, you have yourself an observable to work with in your components. Uh, pros is that your 
the, the positive thing here is that your uh, simple component is still as simple. Nothing has changed there. It still just does an output. It still only has one emitter. Um, and if you were to use that same component in otherware elsewhere in your application, uh, you, could, you could just consume it the way you have been doing it already, because this is just uh, a cheat, basically, on your parent component. The con is that you have an additional event emitter to take care of, so another, um, basically, another subject and potential memory leak, if you forget to unsubscribe, basically, in your components that might um, give you trouble. But it does give you an, uh, the power of Rx. Oh, my bad. Uh, you could also, and this is basically uh, touching on the event emitter versus subject. They are basically the same. You could just use a regular subject or even go crazy and do a replay subject if there's something you want to do, of course. The, the methods don't really change here. Uh, but the point is that you get the power of Rx. So I have a question on that. Sure. Uh, to see if I, I've got it correctly here. So really what's happening here is in this parent component, we've reduced the the functions, methods that we have to create to handle the different events from the different children, right? Or the presentation. So like you have app child here, let's say we had several different ones and they mm -hmm. all had events outputs, right? And we need to wire up to them. We would be just using child events.emit for all of those children, right? Um, that's a fantastic suggestion, actually. Uh, I tried to keep it simple here. You, we just have one child right now, but if you have, uh, if you could, I mean, and that's just the TypeScript guy in me coming up. Like, if you have the events of coming of all these child components are predictable in the sense that they match, because you will have to respond differently to different type of events. You could go with multiple uh, event emitters that you would emit the correct ones. So you have multiple streams of different events coming in. You could merge those, or you could uh, basically uh, join those to have one stream coming out or or split them up separately, whatever you want. I mean, we are using the power of Rx at that point, and you're not just uh, locked into having a single callback function for each and every of your outputs. So yes, you could go crazy with that. I, I tried to keep it simple, but I think there's a lot of possibilities that we haven't, haven't even explored in, in this topic now. OK, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so as I said, the, the negative side of having this is that you have another event emitter to take care of. Um, at, in addition, that you are exposing uh, an event emitter or a subject publicly. So basically, you might be theoretically exposing its API to other components. And that is considered to be not the best of practices. So it's something to be very aware of when you're doing this. Yet another alternative way. Um, and I find this one to be the dirtiest, but I'll let you as the panel decide which one you like better. Uh, but this has its pros and cons, of course, as well. Um, instead of the handling the output directly, we give it a child. And this is, I think, most of you would already be uh, knowing what's coming up here. Yeah. <laughs> you give it a child, and you could do it either this way, or you have two ways of doing this, basically. You get yourself a view child going on. And uh, on that child component, you can call the directly the thing, uh, which is then the output uh, event emitter on that subject or on that on that component there. And um, the pros here, well, you have one event emitter, and it's the same one on the simple component that is already being used if you reuse it. So you are not adding additional uh, potential uh, subjects or event emitters to your already possibly uh, complicated architecture. Another good thing here is that uh, you're not exposing another 
event emitter. The big, the big uh, no-nos here is that you are less explicit on your HTML. Like somebody else reading this was probably not going to know that there is an output here that's not being used, or you might be wondering why is that output not being used because you're not explicitly communicating in the HTML that you are using an output as an observable here, which with the other event emitter solution you do. Uh, so the HTML becomes less readable. And its intention, therefore, is less explicitly defined, which we would consider uh, a good thing to do. And another very bad thing is that you are exposing directly an event emitter or a subject from the child component, from the, the, uh, the simple component, uh, to the outside world by using a view child. Um, you can always, of course, do this, but we're really abusing it right here. And I would say that makes it uh, quite dirty. Uh, but we still have the power of Rx, and we can fix that downside if we want. And this is where it gets really, really cheaty. <clears throat> if we do the same thing we had, this is the, the child component we've been referring to all the time. We have our output of thing with an event emitter, and uh, we have a get thing function, which is public, which returns this dot thing as an observable. And you could already have a function like this in your, uh, uh, in your simple component to use the outputs to trigger other things. You know, uh, a deselect all button might be internally used in the simple component as well. And you might want to listen to events that come off that. So you might already have a function like this in your application or in your component as this. And uh, on the parent component, you can then do this.childcomponent.getThing, which the only thing that fixes, uh, it, it has most of the cons and pros from the previous solution. The only thing that it fixes here is that you're not exposing an event emitter from a, a child component to the outside world directly. You're basically securing it that way. Uh, and that also gives you the power of Rx here. So in conclusion, input and output are still excellent solutions. When you can and want to use them, just use them. Services are fine, but you got to be very conscious about your dependencies and how you manage that. And in case you want to use the power of RxJS, you may have to look for alternatives. There's multiple ways to do that, but they all have their downsides and might feel a little bit cheaty until the Angular team decides to actually implement this as a full feature. Thank you so far. Any questions that may have arisen that we haven't already discussed? I have one. Go for it. It's brought up in the chat by Chaos Monster. So Angular on the Angular repo is yeah. issue 13248. Um, and what it does, is, or what it speculates and is proposing is the idea of being able to... Cold streams? Yes. Listen to mm -hmm. um, the events as observables directly. Um, oh, that would be perfect. Having to go with the subject. So it's basically another, another, another alternative. Oh, really? Uh, once, okay. it, once, it, once it gets uh, implemented. Uh, it's still an open issue for now, but it is something that's uh, proposed and hopefully will make its way into the framework. Well, that yeah, Chaos Monster, he's pretty smart. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I've noted down the number. I'll definitely take a look after. So uh, thank you for that. No problem. I'll send you a link just to make it a little bit easier for you. Ah, thank you so much. Thanks, Martin. Yeah, it's, re it's real interesting how um, in the Angular space, there's so many different ways to accomplish something that you're planning on doing, right? And I think that's one of the big challenges that arises is which do you pick to go with, right? What do you want? How do you roll? And then if you pick something and you're like, okay, this this path is right, this code structure is right, this methodology is is working, and then you add another feature, all of a sudden that may not be ideal for that as well. And so we end up flexing and, and fixing those things. It's, it's an interesting thing that, that I see come up a lot.
Yeah, absolutely. There's an that, easy that's... fix for that. Don't scale. <laughs> yeah, just stop adding things, Justin, maybe? No. <laughs> what do you maybe mean your app... client wants new features? What's wrong with you? Maybe the app is done already. Yeah, just ship it. Be done with it. I've Don't got any support there. That's it. That's all you get. <laughs> yeah. That's what you get. <clears throat> any other questions, maybe from chat? Or did you come to a conclusion on which one do you find the most dirty or maybe like the best? <laughs> uh, one, one quick question. Uh, trying to remember. Sure. Hold on. We're going back to the first um, option, was that internalizing the subject and essentially just having an event listener that's a function that would then internally inside of the parent component uh, emit on a like a private subject within there? This way, there is no bleed of potentially exposing a subject externally to the component. If we could make it private, that would have been perfect. But the strict Angular compiler doesn't like it when you use a private uh, variable in your HTML. So no, it has to be public. So you are exposing it. Correct. Uh, yes, I agree. If you were going to be using that within your template. But if maybe on the click handler, I just have a function called click handle. And then inside that function of my class yeah. is when I would emit on an internal subject. That's basically the same thing. Yeah, I like the. Uh, I personally like the uh, doing it by the event emitter better because it just cleans up your smart component by not having a function that basically just emits on a subject. Um, but yeah, that's. I think that's a matter of preference. That's basically the same. You could make it private then and not expose it as much, for sure. Yeah. Cool. I cut you off, Austin. You may proceed. Oh, I s forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I remember now. Uh, so I, me, yeah. uh, I never have an opinion or anything, um, but my uh, two cents on this is the, the child implementation one, uh, tightly couples, where, where you're getting a reference, uh, tightly couples the parent and the child together, uh, whereas if it were just emitting an event, uh, anything could be emitting that event and really, you're just subscribing in a wonderful, observable rainbow world. Do you? Uh, I see how the parent component gets tightly coupled to the child, uh, which is, I think, inadvertently in every implementation of a simple component where you just have to listen or work with what you're, what's being exposed, basically. Uh, I don't really see directly how the second implementation uh, tightly couples the child to the parent as it's basically returning or publicly advertising the same already used output uh, event emitter as an observable, which is nothing well crazy in that sense. Rather than when you're when you're getting a reference, right? You're you're directly referencing that that child and your parents, mm -hmm. and I would see that is less than ideal when, uh, than just like a child emitting events um, because then multiple things could all be emitting the same event and it couples it a little less loosely. Uh, if you're referring to specifically having a function that would return the observable instead of just getting the actual event emitter and turning that into observable on the parent side, then yeah, I, I kind of agree there. That, that is That's true. Uh, but you could still, as I mentioned in uh, during the presentation, you could still have already a function that returns the event emitter as an observable and not really change anything. You are tight more tightly coupling the parent to the child for sure, yeah, but that's that's what all these Gs have in common. They're very 
Well, the first one is a little less in that sense, but it's still there's you're still always tightly more tightly coupling to your child component because you are relying on a specific output name uh, to begin with, and which you also do when re using regular output uh, callbacks. Pretty if is, the name changes, you have to revisit your component, basically. Yeah, and this agree. is really interesting. But don't forget, he has another whole section. Thank of you, Bonnie. Thank you, Bonnie. I was I was thinking that I was I was in dink. <laughs> Love <Yeah>. you. <laughs> Love you too. It's great having a discussion, though, because advertising cheats never a good thing. So uh, <laughs> I'm all for. Cool. Um, do you want to move? Yeah. Yes. All right. Sure. Then uh, I think we have everything ready. Uh, so the second topic here, manageable and extendable objects. Um, I've been, I'll, I'll just quickly start it off simply uh, by saying that I'm still working and really researching this topic as it's very interesting on the one side if you're interested in working with TypeScript more deeply. Uh, but what I have here in the presentation are very simple basics, uh, basically some examples on a very lower, on a lower, more introductionary level. Um, to show the differences and to see where we can go, where we can take it. So I have some experiments in the repository. I think the link's in here. At some point, you can check it out if you want. And we are working on more experiments. I'm sure this, gonna, this, is, this topic's gonna change over time. So let's just get into it. Uh, wait, I should probably introduce it properly. So manageable and extendable objects is basically the talk about our objects in our application where you try to represent uh, your model, your domain. And usually this consists out of classes versus interfaces. Uh, you see this a lot with people uh, with a back-end uh, back uh, background coming into the front end for the first time, or I mean, I've seen it a lot when in different and uh, several projects where classes were heavily used because they are very reliable and they are very compiler friendly in that sense. Um, we are talking here about um, classes that you want to use when you expect your front-end part or your app basically to generate instances. And interfaces work best when they are served from an external source. So basically, interfaces work best when your external source has a, a representation and you wrap them to an interface and then the front-end world just, just rolls with that basically. So we have an example of an, uh, a to-do class. Um, very simple right now, you would say. It has a read-only with an ID of a number. Uh, it could be a string, of course, that, that, that depends on our uh, on our architecture and what we're trying to do here. It has a read-only title, which is also a string, and a public is checked of a Boolean. It uh, doesn't have an access modifier else. If you don't have an access modifier, then the, the class won't be uh, assigning it for you. So after compilation, you will lose that information. That uh, is my favorite feature about TypeScript. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? Automatic assignment. This makes the classes a lot more easier to work with. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, so this this class right now looks fine, right? It, and it probably works well for the time being. Now we get the the thing that most developers like or hate. Uh, nothing as constant as change. So the requirements change. Th things change. Um, the ID has to be a string now. We should have been using you. It's from the start. Uh, we have children now in this thing. Um, <clears throat> so uh, th it needs to have children now, which are apparently optional, which is uh, a sub of its own and a potential area of its own. And we've added a little bit of, uh, of, of class-specific logic, so basically type-specific logic here, uh, which makes sense. I mean, that's what classes are really good for, to have your logic close to your actual data model. So um, 
this starts to hurt, of course. Uh, you might have a representation of something like this in your HTML, but I think the HTML part here is a little less interesting. It's more about the data model itself. Um, so now if you were using this in your application and you had a couple of simple components, maybe in implementing some versions of these, you have a, uh, a smart component, maybe generating new to-do uh, new to-do instances as you send them off to the server for processing and stuff like that. And you have to revisit all these spots right now because your model has changed. Um, things might come and go. The IDs are now all strings, so you have to do something with that. Maybe you want, uh, when you're creating one, you want the server to assign an ID instead of your front end. So what are you doing with that? This is where classes start to hurt a little bit. Let's talk about the good parts of a class first, though, because you get perfect type compl uh, completion. Basically, classes, when you open them up, you say new to do. Uh, TypeScript can't wait to start helping you with what it requires. It wants an ID, wants a name, uh, maybe wants a, a, a Boolean to, to indicate if it's, lock, if it's turned on and off, um, all that good stuff. It's a good idea as well to try and keep only one domain entity uh, instead of multiple, uh, although we'll see that that might, uh, might go a little different way here. But it's it's a it's a good principle to have one class with some logic on it to uh, to work with basically. And your objects that's a good thing about the classes. Objects are still recognizable on runtime. So after compilation, you will get something like a, a little to do prefix before the actual object, so you can recognize that you have an array of twenty objects or of twenty to dos instead of twenty anonymous objects, uh, which is nice. Although. Quick caveat, if you run your production uh, build and you have some minification going on, then there's a good chance that the, the nice class name of to-do has been renamed to the letter E. Something good, something bad, I guess. Uh, but in theory, they are, especially in dev mode, they are just recognizable in runtime. That's, that's good for debugging. And compile errors. Uh, people hate them, people love them. Uh, I see compile errors as co the compiler trying to help me and point out my silly mistakes. Uh, I, I am happy with compile errors. Um, but classes really help with compile errors. If you change your class, then your entire application will be full of compile errors, and that uh, that is a good indication that everything that you where you use it, what, it basically gives you a list to check where everything that you uh, have used it. Of course, when there's good parts, there might be a couple bad parts as well. Uh, the bad parts of a class are that extendability is quite limited without breaking your existing code. So when you have your class spread out through the application everywhere where it hits the model. Basically, you change your constructor and uh, everything breaks. You have to revisit everything. Makes it a little bit hard to extend on uh, without having to revisit or redo entire parts of your existing code base. To transform your external data that comes from a server, you'll have to either use a map or, or do, uh, do some trickery with that to get the actual benefits of having a class. So you can use these uh, internal logic, you can use the internal logic, or you can actually see the runtime name of the object. So you have to transform it in order to for that to work. Just assigning it doesn't really do it after compilation. And of course, the compilers are also a bad thing, especially in more complex situations where it's not as simple as one to-do app with maybe a page or two. Uh, if you have a big domain with a lot of different objects that might rely on each other, one change can maybe break half of your system and you'll be busy for hours or days even. Uh, to revisit everything and refactor it so it works back. So that, that might be uh, um, uh, compilers might start to hurt there in that sense. 
Uh, long constructors are very painful. Even TS Lint says so. Uh, they t they put the maximum at seven by default. Uh, I I tend to put it back to five or six because that's my first warning sign that I might be using classes wrong here. Um, but long constructors are painful. If you have one, uh, you'll know why. And the seven <coughs> to the arguments parameters. Sorry, what? The number seven referring to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Number seven is uh, the amount of arguments in your constructor in that sense. Yeah. I just learned um, that last week from Juan Herrera, and I love it. Oh, really? Nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I ran into it by uh, in in a project, and uh, I was happy that Tiesland had a real rule for that. So, uh, so classes are terrible. Well, no, they are quite useful. Uh, just I would say don't abuse them. Um, they're perfect for limited and specifically scoped pieces of code. So basically, when you have small pieces, uh, let's say you want to have a class that helps you generate your new to-dos to be sent off to your uh, to your server. I think if you go back 10, 10 years uh, into, uh, into the past, they would call that DTOs everywhere. Not sure if that's still a thing really in the Angular world. I haven't, I haven't run much into uh, them in the wild, but that's exactly a perfect um, a perfect example of what a class might be useful for to create your data transfer objects. Um, so that's an ex exact, exactly the example. Like the creation of an object that is the minimum requirement to create a to-do would be an excellent choice for a class in that sense. And so it's simply, you, sorry, where yeah? Where do you draw the line between interfaces and classes and when to use each? Uh, well, if we, I don't want to spoil too much of the rest of the presentation. Oh, sorry. Uh, and especially with the uh, with the, the the additional experiments and research that I've been doing the last few days. Uh, You're I'm such starting... an overachiever, Austin. <laughs> I'm starting to uh, to uh, move away from classes entirely, but you'll see that in the experiments if we get the time to to revisit those, maybe. Um, so in simple use cases, like the service that actually does the, takes care of posting it to a server could actually also be in charge of creating that exact object it needs. So it basically, it knows the contract that the server wants, might as well just hand it all the information and let it take care of that as well. I mean, that's a way to not have to deal with classes or deal with classes in a very specifically scoped limited uh, piece in your architecture. So an example here, uh, export a class. It, I mean, just to create any to-do and let the assignment of the ID be done by the server and the default state would be it's off, uh, this would be sufficient to do so. And the service could look like this. Uh, you have your create new to-do, requires one of the type of to-do because that's your class, and it just sends that off, maybe, maybe returning the new ID for you if you want. Uh, things you could do, of course. Or another way, uh, when we talk about the services taking care of it, server service just knows the contract, basically requires only a title, and it'll create the object to send off to the server. Uh, this might also bite you back uh, in the future if you have a domain that's heavily uh, under change. But this is a very valid solution in certain situations, of course. So why interfaces? And now we get to the, the bread and butter of the, uh, the presentation, of course. As we said, it's useful when the data is external, like from an API or a service that you have, or from a JSON file, maybe. So interfaces are, are very useful for that. Uh, the amount of painful compile errors you get when your contract changes is uh, negated to a minimum because the implementation of your interface usually doesn't reflect the directly actual creation of objects. Like, you don't have to manually assign that. 
You can just say, you are this interface right now and be done with it. And because it's from an external data source, you might have contract issues if your objects don't match the actual pattern you're expecting. Uh, interfaces are a lot easier to compose with, and especially to compose complex objects with. And we'll get an example of that in the presentation in a bit. And it makes your objects that you use in your app uh, a lot more manageable and a lot easier to extend as well. So let's take the previous example of our to-do class we had. We uh, I put an I here. Uh, it's very old school, and the Angular style guide is really suggesting to consider not doing that anymore. They're not saying you can't, but I, I really don't like it. Uh, I did it here in this exact, uh, oh, I see Austin has a comment here. Go for it. I was tisking. Oh, tisking. Yeah, you don't <laughs> like the I, right? Yeah, no, I know. I totally very agree. sharp of you. <laughs> it's very old school, as I said. Um, but I had to do it here because I was building this entire presentation in one file, and my TypeScript compiler didn't like it when I had two types of to-dos next to each other. So I had to do it, and it's it it's I, it kind of signifies an interface, but I really don't like it. Uh, but we're rolling for it now. I hope you'll forgive me. <clears throat> uh, so your service might look something like this: that retrieves your data. It just basically says, "Here's the here's the URL," and oh by the way, this is an array of I to dos, or we're going to call them to dos from now on. And the observable is just returning an array of to dos, and you're done. Um, <clears throat> when the details change, you change them in one place only. Your interface is your one and only contract of the the object representation in your application. Uh, the compile errors are only limited to hard-coded data that you may be using in your application, either the generation of new objects like the smart component would, uh, although you could probably put that away in some other type of thing, maybe uh, a class or something. Um, but your compile errors are only limited to hard-coded data. So if you have like test data hard-coded somewhere in your application, and we've all done it, uh, then that would break when you actually run your test, of course. And the Angular style guide actually recommends, uh, recommends interfaces to be used as data models. So that's uh, that's another plus why you should be using interfaces here. The type completion in use is actually still pretty good, as I was actually surprised when I first started researching this, uh, because this is an interface, as you can see, slightly might not be very readable, but it says an I to do, and it just says it has an ID and is checked in a title. What do you want from me? The ID is a string. Uh, so that type completion was above par for my uh, taste. And of course, uh, when you start using TypeScript more advanced, you'll run in that TypeScript's actually really smart. So in hindsight, I should have known. Uh, but at the time, I was quite surprised. So we've made it a bit more manageable. But what about the extensibility we've been talking about? Uh, interfaces grow a lot more easily where classes start to bite you um, when they grow. And you'll have to revisit a lot of places. The interfaces can easily be composed by using more interface. So as your data model becomes more complex, as we have an example coming up, um, as your domain grows more complex, uh, your interfaces can still be relatively small and reuse a lot of other interfaces without having to create uh, complex functions to generate these, uh, these separate objects or create very complex classes that uh, refer to each other and extend each other everywhere. So as your project goes, your domain model will usually grow as well with it, and, and interfaces really help you. <clears throat> um, <laughs> so here we have an interface of a to-do, uh, as we were talking about earlier. 
Uh, it has a, an ID title, a status right now that's new. Uh, we have apparently not, we, we've done away with the Boolean. So it's now just uh, an unchecked in progress. It's done or it might be late. The owner is a user of which we have a separate interface, which has an ID, a name, uh, an email, a last online date, and so on. You can imagine the amount of data that will come with a user if you want to use that. And the children are still there. They are to do now. Uh, I, as you can see, I dropped the I here in this uh, in this case. Bjorn? Uh, yeah. Do you have a recommendation on when do you go with the type? You know, a type versus a field or something in your face? Yeah. Uh, well, this one's. Uh, oh, yeah. I, this is a, that's a good question. Yeah, interfaces and types are very comparable. I think there's a couple of things you can do with a type that you can't do with an interface. And that refers to type inheritance. Uh, but that's not in this presentation. It is the things that I've been researching on. So, yeah. Type unions. Uh, as well, yeah. This is uh, this is called a union, I believe. What I've done here with the status, or is this? Uh, yeah, that's a union. But you can use, for with types, you can do strong unions between multiple different types. I'm not like sure if I, were if I understand. Yeah. A, a type that was like yeah. type user yeah. equal, and then I could say type admin, and then I could say type employee, and I could mm -hmm. use them all together. Exactly. And call that we do with interfaces, can you? Um, I'm honestly not sure. I think if you have multiple interfaces and you have a type on top of that where you use, uh, where you union all these interfaces, that would work, I think. So I'm not sure where that, where that line is, but I think that types have a couple of additional features that interfaces simply don't. Um, but I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to look into that. I don't know what the exact line is where you would like objectively go for a type over an interface. Usually when I can't do with an interface that, that I want to do, then I switch to type, basically. <laughs> and what about I don't want to use one or the other either, so. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, what about, uh, uh, like in this case, the to-do status, a type versus an enum? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, enums refer to numbers in the end. Uh, this was just an, an example I whipped up. If you have numbers in your backend and you can make them, you can easily make these like overlap, then surely you could bring in an enum for not, not a problem. And well, that's also different from, from as numbers. You can make enums as strings in TypeScript. Yeah. <clears throat> or as objects, even, I think, and then assign them a number. So you could use an enum in that sense to do like a HTTP status code uh, lookup table or something like that. So that's some interesting stuff you can do there for sure, yeah. And that's that's all TypeScript features. So uh, heavily looking into that. Cool. Um, moving on, we could even go more type safe, and this is where we get into the more interesting stuff. The first one is a, a, a little trick that a colleague of mine found. Uh, we have an export type of to do ID that is a string and a union of uh, uh, an anonymous object with just two random words that are assigned. You could use anything here, but I like to keep them close to the domain we're working. And what this does is you can now assign in your interface of to-do that the ID has to be a to-do ID. And you could have functions that only accept to-do IDs. The good trick is you can even make it more strict. That's that's the more advanced stuff that I'm not going to go into here. Um, but what you see here is that when we have uh, a little piece of code and you have to get to-do details 
uh, function that we described earlier that only accepts to do ID. If you just pass it a regular string, as I do in the bottom, you get a type error saying that a string or an empty string in this case is not assignable to the type of to do ID, where the to do item dot ID that we have casted as a, uh, a to do interface um, just works fine, doesn't complain at all. So we use this now everywhere, and when you have like certain very uh, files that look very much like each other, but you cast them in the right way by doing uh, type intersections and stuff like that, you can actually prevent yourself from assigning an ID that isn't supposed to go anywhere in a function, which is really, really powerful, we've noticed. Um, so you can even swap out classes for types, which is the thing that I've been researching, and that's probably way more coming up in this sense if we get to, get the time or I get the time to develop this a little bit. Um, so here's the same thing that we have, the export type with the to-do ID. We have the interface of to-do where we again drop the I, I like it. And we have a, a type called new to-do, which picks from the to-do interface, picks the title and is checked, which uh, will take the uh, optional part of is checked. So is checked is an optional Boolean. It will take that with us and it'll give us the option to create a new object on the fly. You might do this when you generate your new to-dos to send them off to your service. Uh, you give it a title that you cast as a to-do ID, else it will give you an error. And you set your is checked in this case, but it's still optional. And you, this way you can even completely, or for most part, get rid of your classes. And if you keep this close to each other, you have a very powerful way of creating uh, types and interfaces that help you keep your codes very safe, uh, type safe and secure, whilst also being a lot more extensible. Like if we change to do ID to be a number now again, because we don't want to get rid of the UIT, so we want a, a nice auto assigned number, then we only change it in the to do or in the to do ID even to be correct. And everywhere else that just listens to the interface basically says, all right, it's a number now, we don't care. The only part where you might run into problems if you're assigning the ID yourself in the front end, where you were assigning strings earlier and casting them as a to-do ID, that might hurt, and it will give you compile errors when that's a number now. So that's basically uh, where, we're, where we're at right now. There's more examples in the GitHub repo uh, under the experiments.ts, and that's on github.com slash bjorn slash ngr193. Um, quick, quick conclusion. Yeah. Can you go back two slides real quick to that code? Sure. Yeah, sure. Couple things. Um, what is the pick? Can you explain that? Yeah, pick is a, a TypeScript function. It's a TypeScript compiler function. Uh, so basically, it will take uh, an interface, I think, but it might also take classes or other types. But it, you basically feed it a base, in this case, the to do interface. And with the comma, where you separate to your second part of the function, you give it uh, a union of the and it actually typed, uh, helps you with uh, IntelliSense here. It actually helps you with the completion. Uh, you can pick from that interface that you feed it. You can pick the items, the values, or the variables, basically, that you want. And it will create in the new to-do a type based off to-do where it only has these uh, selected variables that you want. So cool. oh. that's interesting. So that's what it does, yeah. Thank you. And then yeah. the other question we want to do is, uh, can you then explain that top line just a little bit more, uh, one more time? Um, yeah, sure. The string ampersand is doing sort of there. Yeah. Uh, so basically, we're uh, we're assigning, uh, we're creating a new type, and we're assigning it to a string, which is the base of the string. Uh, but we're making it unique. It's not only a string. It also has an anonymous, well, it's 
technically an object. Uh, and again, it doesn't matter if it says to do ID. You can it can you can have it say your dog's name and your cat's name, for instance. It doesn't matter as long as it's unique, because what it uh, the type that you get is technically a string, uh, but it has this anonymous union that you just give it. Uh, when you when TypeScript compiler goes around and uh, checks your your objects, and if there's a regular string, it doesn't have that secret anonymized uh, object behind it. So when it compares the two, it says this one's a string and this one is a string that has something that you don't. And it will say these are not the same. You can't use these at this point at this spot. So this is just a little trick to make your strings more unique. And there's even a more advanced one that I'll I'll quickly put in the experiment if I have time. It's by the same colleague that came up with this one. So um, we can even make it more strict than this, but this definitely works for most cases if you just want to have a unique way. You so you could basically do it with all your types, with your unique IDs, but you could also do it with, uh, if there's something special about the title that you're using your to-do, you could have a to-do title, which is a certain type of string. And if you try to feed a function, something that only expects to do titles that isn't a to-do title, it will give you compile errors, which is exactly what you want. Uh, so it's basically a way of making a type more unique and clash with regular strings or other types that you've created. Hope that answers your question there. But still keeping that type like a primitive type, like a string, right? Yes, exactly. The The good thing about types and interfaces is that after compile time, there's no artifact of this in your runtime. So your compiled code has no traces of this except for the uh, the construction of the object that you do at the bottom. All the rest is gone, and that makes it a little lighter and um, makes it maybe a little harder to debug if your compiler's OK with it. So we'll give, we'll give you that. Bjorn, John wants to know, how does it handle property name changes? How does it what? Magic strings. How does it handle property name changes? Property name changes, as in, um, oh, if in, I change the name of the to-do ID. No, it's referring to pick, right? That the oh, oh like that. Uh, yeah. Well, if if uh, if I change the title to be the name in my interface, uh, then I'll get a compile error that it can't find title on the interface of to-do. So you'll get compile errors when you change things. Um, so yeah, yeah. But if you change the title from a string to be a number, then I'll just assume that everything that you that you use title is now a number, not a problem. I think that's always one of the things that like you hit that point in TypeScript where you're like, whoa, did it just do that? Like this yeah. ability to you can actually work with strings in certain places and it'll identify typing based off of those string names and places. It's pretty cool. Uh, I really, really have come to love TypeScript for my daily job. I don't start a new project without TypeScript, honestly. <clears throat> I think I speak for all of us when I say, Justin, can we have Bjorn back for another episode? Because this this hour was too short. <laughs> yeah, for shall sure. I shall I quickly summarize then and uh, and <laughs> uh, so where were we? We were here, yeah. So quickly resuming or summarizing, classes are good when you use them with a very specific scope. Interfaces rule for any external data, uh, but be type safe as well and consider using additional TypeScript options. I will swear to you, if you take an afternoon out of your day, if you have that, to uh, to just play around with the TypeScript, com to the TypeScript playground and just look at all the insane advanced functions they have, you'll, you'll have a good time and maybe learn a thing or two. Uh, so let the compiler help you without making it too hard on yourself. And that was all I have. Thank you so much. Awesome, very cool, very cool. That's a lot of lot of stuff to digest, right? And a lot of cool new little things in there as well for, for our viewers. Very cool. I hope I was able to bring something new there, yeah.
for sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, these are the things that we get into, right? As we, we start adding those features and start expanding and growing our apps and, and scaling our apps that, that we run into, okay, how do we solve this thing? How, what's the best approach? And it's always challenging to take these concepts, right? And, and it's like, you want to know these things ahead of time. So when you go to architect, even the, the little things, that like you're putting the foundation in place, right? And, and so like these approaches to doing classes versus interfaces and types and stuff, it's great to have this kind of knowledge before you write your first lines of code. So you can kind of have an idea of how can I lay that foundation for a successful future. Absolutely, I wish I had known about the classes biting me, uh, biting me in the future when I started another first project. We, if we, did, if we had known that, that would uh, come to haunt us so badly, we would have instantly done it differently, thought it out more. Well, now everybody in the chat wants an episode for advanced TypeScript. I want to know what Austin McDaniel thinks of all this. That's the real test. <laughs> you just like poking the bear. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sitting here being good, being quiet, and... <laughs> Are you something new today, Austin? That's a high bar there. Oh. Yeah, we already knew it. Sorry, Bjorn. I agree. I think we should definitely have an advanced TypeScript. Uh, there's a lot of things like um, pick and omit and unions and conditional types. You know, that we could just write a whole book about. We can totally go out with that. And I, I'm volunteering Bjorn for this. Well, I was also going to say that we we also got James Henry out there that's been uh, put. I was going to say that. If he's listening or watching, you know, we really would love to have him on here. And he can we get James Henry on the same episode as Bjorn? Yeah, both come on. Yes, that'll be super, <laughs> super interesting and educational. Yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, the top of the hour. Let's get to picks. Unless there's any last things we want to add on here. Anybody have any final say? Or are we good? Silence. We're good. All right, let's do some picks. Who's got picks? Raise your hand. All right, we got one, two. Okay, so we're going to start with Bonnie. Bonnie, go for it. I have to say, this was not the pick that I started out with, but I'm obsessed with Bjorn's whole setup. So my pick is going to be the OBS thing that he's, this is what he's using to do like the swipes and all the, I, I have to level up my uh, my online panelist game now that I've. Do now you have like a, a link to that or something? To this it's, uh, yeah, open broadcaster software. I'm going to send you a link okay, right now. Thank you. It's very cool, Bjorn. I want to be cool like you when I grow up. Thank you. I can help you be cool if you want. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> All right. Any other picks, Bonnie? No. Okay. Austin? Uh, uh, Bjorn, we let our guests go last on our picks because they get to wrap it up and be the star. So just FYI. So. That way they can't steal our picks, Bjorn. That's not why. We want them to have the spotlight. All right. Austin, what's going on? What's your uh, what's your pick? TypeScript 3.3. What's fascinating about TypeScript 3.3? Anything? Other than getting they, they changed the number. So that's pretty interesting. <laughs> oh, my God. There we go. That's good stuff already. You're the worst. <laughs> All right. I, I, I want to keep it secretive so the viewers will just want to go out and uh, mysterious. And, and root, root about on the internet for what's new in TypeScript. <laughs> awesome. You know, he's got his entertainment card. He's playing that, right? You know, just <laughs> and let people find out on their own. <laughs> hey, Justin, can we slide in Chaos Monsters pick? 
Uh, oh yeah, what's it? What's, what was his pen? Chaos Monster is a friend of ours, and we love him. So uh, we're gonna pretend he's here. Uh, he wants us to do a shout out for Global Diversity CFP Day on the second of March. Awesome. Are we gonna uh, get a link for that? Put that out in the tweets. Yes, Chaos Monster is gonna tweet that for us. Okay, we'll retweet it. Perfect. Awesome. All right, Alyssa, do you have any picks? Yeah, I uh, discovered it yesterday uh, from a friend, and it's. 100 days of CSS challenge, and it's literally 100dayscss.com. And so it's just like these challenges daily that roll out and people post their pens, like how they solve them. And there's some JavaScript in some of them, but it's mainly CSS. Um, and I think most of them can be done with all CSS, but I do see some cheaters using JavaScript. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but no, it's really fun to uh, level up your, you know, your CSS skills and compare yourself to other people, I think. So definitely shout out to that, that website I found. Awesome. Yeah, you shared that the other day. I saw that. I want to check that out. <laughs> OK, I'm going with a gaming pick today, and it's uh, Apex Legends. And, uh, Things oh my gosh, you too, you yeah. too. Come on, there. Come on there. we got to play. Uh, so uh, and our, our guests may know a little bit about that as well, a little bit about some gaming logic. but um, It's it's great, yeah. Yeah. It's good. So, so I'm, I'm, Fortnite, though, guys. What's up? I said our guest does not like Fortnite. <laughs> Might not make a couple of friends with that, but hey. Well, we did like you, Bjorn. Let's, uh, let's get to our guest picks, Bjorn. Uh, yeah, so I have two. First, we, firstly, the Angular Connect 2019 announcement was tweeted, I think, today, but it might have been yesterday. Uh, I went to Angular Connect last year, and it was amazing. Uh, definitely check it out. And I saw they also announced their CFP, so maybe I'll I'll go you know, bite at that. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and the other one that I have is uh, ldjam.com. Not sure if a lot of people know it, but it's for the, the, the game enthusiast under us. It's uh, three times a year competition and basically fun weekend for everyone around the world to build a game in 48 hours. It's a challenge and it's super fun. Uh, I do it at least once a year for the last four or five years and I usually stream everything and it's just a blast. I would highly recommend everybody checking it out. Very cool. You're a blast. <laughs> oh, you're a blast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Bjorn, thanks so much for coming on, sharing your time and uh, sharing this content with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was uh, a lot of fun to do. Hope you have me again. For sure. For sure. All right. That's a wrap. Have a good one. We'll catch you next time. Later. Have a great day, everyone.